Welcome back to episode four of the Sports Talk ATL podcast. I am Chase Earl, your host, joined by at Cantgar, Jake Jarek Gordon, and Go Sports Talk on Twitter, Alex Lord. Guys, it seems like we're here. We're four weeks into this podcast, and it's the same shit every day with the Braves. You know, win two, lose two, win one, lose one. You know, win a series, lose a series. Guys look good. The lineup looks good one day. It looks awful the next day. You know, pitching, for the most part, has been uh, very good. But then you have the fifth spot in the rotation that comes up last night, which has been a black hole for the Braves all season. Tucker Davidson looks awful, um, about as bad as you can look. I, I mean, for real, four walks, four hits, gives up five runs in 2.2 innings. I think it's safe to say he will not be pitching five days from now. Um, so let, let's just start off with this. Uh, who would you have pitching five days from now? I know who you know. I obviously would have, but Jake, who would you have pitching five days from now in Tucker Davidson's place? I mean, I think the Braves are honestly kind of out of options. I think it's kind of got to be Spencer Strider at this point. Um, I like I like him in the role that he's in, uh, especially because, you know, we talked about this maybe on the first episode that I don't really like to fix things that aren't broken, and the role that he's in is perfect for him right now. Uh, he looks super confident. He's pitching well. Uh, but this is just kind of where we're at. Our backs are against the wall. So uh, I think it's going to have to be Strider. Yeah, I think everybody would agree with you guys. I mean, it's got to be Strider, Davidson, Elder, and Moeller. You know, uh, they've all, you know, had their chance at that fifth spot. And they've all, you know, performed pretty bad. So I think, you know, Strider is the last option. I think everybody's in agree agreement with that. Yeah, I think it's definitely Spencer Strider that should be on the mound in five days. I think it's going to be more of like bullpen games because they have switched him to high leverage situations where he's only pitching in one inning his last like three times out. And yeah, I'd love to keep him in the role he's in, especially with Tyler Matzik out. But at this point, every five days, the Braves are basically forfeiting. And I think you got to just put Strider out there. I think they're going to roll him out there. I think his first time out will probably go like two or three innings. Then maybe the next time it's three or four innings, uh, five innings, until they stretch him out full time as a starter. I mean, listen, I, I'm so impressed with Spencer Strider. I, I have no doubt that uh, he will be able to pick up um, the pieces in this fifth spot in the rotation and look fantastic doing so. I mean, guys look so uncomfortable, I mean, about as uncomfortable as I've ever seen guys look. And, and he's kind of figured that out and realizes, damn, these guys really can't hit me. And when he throws the ball in the zone, uh, it, it's almost automatic outs. I mean, he walks into games, high leverage situation, throws 10 pitches and strikes out three guys of like good teams. I mean, it, it's been unbelievably impressive. Uh, so I do think they're going to have to stretch him out a little bit, but I don't think they have a choice. I mean, not only are the guys that you mentioned, Alex, not perform haven't performed at the major league level they're not performing in triple a and it's kind of worrying me because davidson's been bad in triple a elder hasn't been good in triple a you know what has a 6.04 era since we moved him back to triple a i looked that up today i almost i totally forgot you know was an option when i was going through the guys last night he has a 6.04 era and five starts in gwinnett i mean this is a guy who was you know an all-star candidate last year before he broke his hand he's totally lost it uh, Moeller hasn't been, he's been probably the best one in, in AAA, but uh, yeah, I mean, all those guys, Toussaint, I mean, I don't even know if that guy's ever going to don a Braves uniform anymore. So uh, all these guys who I thought, yeah, at least one of them will fill the, fill the option. The only guy we have left right now is Spencer Strider. So I, I don't, I don't know how they, they give anyone else a shot outside of Strider. Yeah, the only thing that worries most people is that third uh, offering. But when you're throwing a hundred and you got to wipe out slider, I mean, it, it, it's clear, you know, these these hitters can't touch them. Uh, but that's what everybody, you know, that's the worry. Um, I don't think it necessarily worries me when you're – he's just blowing by, guys. It's so impressive. People are falling down, swinging out of their shoes, trying to catch up to him. Yeah, you know what? I mean, you know what basically has the same repertoire at this point in his career – he just can't throw strikes. But when you know it was throwing strikes and locating his fastball and slider, uh, you know, effectively, we saw how good he could be as a starter. So I, I don't see why Strider can't have the same sort of success. And maybe it is a situation where he's only giving you, you know, five or six innings, four or five, six innings every time out, because by the time guys do see him for a third time, you know, that they're a little more used to that fastball slider combo. But overall, uh, you know, this is, you're talking about a fifth, you know, a fifth spot in the rotation. I mean, Spencer Strider is going to be the most talented fifth guy in most people's rotations, maybe in the entire league. So um, I think if you batten down the hatches with that spot, this pitching staff is going to be elite because the first four guys have been fantastic. And the other thing I want to talk about here is how good the bullpen's been. Um, best unit in the league so far. Uh, 
on pace for 10 F war, which uh, F war really doesn't give a lot of credit to bullpen arms. They're usually really stingy. Like, for example, the Braves had a decent bullpen last year, only accumulated 3.6 F war over the whole season. They're already almost at three this year, 41, 42 games into the season. So this bullpen is living up to the hype. And if you can get five starters out there that give you four, five, six innings, you're going to win a lot of games if this offense can ever get a goddamn hit. Yeah, I think that's really been the problem so far is the offense has been like there's there's like a formula here. You get the starter, you got the offense, and if the offense can outplay the starters and you get to the bullpen, you'll be fine. But that the offense hasn't been there this year, and that's been the main issue. You know, we got starters going out there giving up three runs, and that's too many. Um, I think that's really just been the missing ingredient. But it's just it was like this last year. I think this offense is going to start to hit eventually. But I've been saying this since the beginning. This offense needs a leadoff hitter. Like, I love Ronald in the leadoff spot. I love what he brings. I love that he gets the most at-bats. I hear all that. They need a real leadoff hitter. They need somebody that's going to get on base to start the game. It, it drives me crazy. I love Ronald to death. I love the leadoff home runs. They're great. They're fun. They need a leadoff hitter, and they need Ronald hitting second. That's interesting because I've always been a big proponent of Ronald hitting more in the middle of the order. And I guess we've all, like, because we had guys in the middle of the order that were picking up the pieces, it didn't really matter. And he was the guy getting on base. And then you'd have Freddie and Austin Riley who had an MVP year and guys like that, you know, always drive him in. But now, I mean, you look at the guys behind him, nobody's driving him in. Even if he does get on base, you need someone that can get on base. And we need Ronald driving in guys because he needs to be that guy driving in batters. I've always thought he should be more of a cleanup or a third base hitter. Maybe with the DH, you know, hitting him second or third. It is better. But yeah, I agree. I, I've always thought the lead up spot for Ronald was it, it was it was good. It worked with what we had. But yeah, I mean, that is a good point. Maybe it is time to, to, to try something different there and put him in second. But the problem is we don't really have anybody else. No one else gets on base on this team. Like the on base percentage on the team is embarrassingly low. Uh, I, I mean, who would you even put there? I know a lot of people are going to say Michael Harris, but that's not that's not realistic. The, the jump from double A AA to triple A is almost as Actually, I think it's bigger than the jump from AAA to the majors. Uh, you can't rush him like that. I know the kid's a superstar. He's going to be great. But you can't call up Michael Harris straight from AA. It's, it would just be a disaster. You would look like the Merritt out there. Matt Olson moved down in the order. You know, he's slumping right now. But he's still drawing an insane amount of walks. And obviously, you know, we all expect his bat to come back around. And he could be a candidate if his bat comes back around because of those walks. That man's so fucking slow. That guy's not hitting leadoff. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think there is a good answer because I mean, yeah, if you look at all base percentages, I think Matt Olson probably is up there even as much as he's slumping. But I mean, Ozzy, that guy never gets on base. You know, he, he hits, you know, a home run ever here. He, he's always a candidate to get a hit, but he never draws any walks. Uh, Austin Riley. I mean, let's talk about Austin Riley for a second. Is it's, it's early still, but is there any like worry that you think last year might have been a little flash in the pan with just the way that he's playing? I, I still have confidence in him. I still think he looks good up there. Um, I think it's just a big slump, but I mean, he's down to almost 220 on the year. I think he's at like 225 uh, and OPS uh, below 750. Is it time to start thinking, hey, maybe last year where he was an MVP candidate? Is that what, what do we expect moving forward here? I've always said he'd be somewhere in the middle of when he was really, really bad and when he was really, really good. I think he'll be like a 260 hitter and he'll give you 30-some home runs, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, obviously, I love Austin Riley. He's one of my favorite players, but I, I'm not super concerned. I just think he's going to regress to the mean. Um, he had the amazing year last year, and then the year before that, he was probably statistically one of the worst hitters in all of baseball. So I think he's just going to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I tend to agree with that notion. Everything regresses to the mean. That's why the slumps won't last. They just can't. The law of <clears throat> the law of large numbers says otherwise. Well, the Braves have definitely been candidates of just some awful luck. I, I said I tweeted this out yesterday. It feels like every time they hit a ball hard, it's either right at someone or it's six inches foul. I mean, I, I think I was at a game last week, or maybe it was against the Red Sox where Ozzy or Adam Duvall or someone, I swear he had three balls down the line and each one of them landed like two feet foul. And they were all with runners in scoring position. It just seems like it just, that's how this year has gone so far. Riley, I'm not as worried about. I don't know if he'll ever be the MVP candidate. I do think he's going to be closer to what we saw last year than more in the middle. I really do. I, I just, and it might just be my fandom talking, 
But I really do think he's going to be closer to what we saw last year than this little slump that he's in right now. I think he's going to get hot and really turn that around. And that'll help turn the whole offense around. But one guy that I'm borderline, and the, the outfield as a whole, is the Braves' biggest black hole right now. Outside of Ronald Acuna, I know Azuna's hot now, but he should be more of a permanent designated hitter. I don't trust anyone out there. And Eddie Rosario, I don't know when he's going to come back. Travis Demerit's unplayable. Contreras is hot right now, but he didn't look great in left field out there yesterday. And his bat's going to cool down. Like, he's not going to have a 1,200 OPS, you know, this whole season. So his bat's going to cool down, and he's not very good defensively. Duvall is almost unplayable. I mean, he's one of the worst hitters in baseball this year. He has a bottom three OPS in the National League. He's played in every game. He has a 193 batting average. Um, and listen, if you're hitting 200 and you're out of Duvall, that's one thing. But you better have 15 home runs right now. He has two. Uh, I mean, and his defense, but th that's the problem. Defensively, he's probably the Braves' de best defensive outfielder, especially with Ronald not playing it every day. And it's just, they're, the Braves are in a shit position out there. And I don't want to, leading into something we'll talk about, but this outfield, I mean, they got a problem. They really do. If Duvall, and I don't know, this Duvall thing looks like this is what we're going to get from him. Yeah, and I mean, this this is something we talked about uh, earlier, you know, in the first episode, we were like, we're not really that worried about Dansby. We're kind of worried about Duvall. And it's funny because going into the season, it was one of those things where we were like, oh, we got too many outfielders. We can't decide. But now we don't have any, <laughs> you know, we thought we like, oh man, we can't pick between Jock and, and, and Eddie and Jorge and, and Duvall. None of them have been good. Like Jock had a really hot start. He's been terrible lately. He's hitting under a hundred over like his last 20 games. Um, Solaire's hitting like 210. It's just crazy. It turns out none of these guys ended up really being the right option. I mean, maybe some things will change down the road, but yeah, I mean, it, it, we, we thought we had all these options and it turns out we really didn't have any. So maybe that whole Brian Reynolds trade idea wasn't the craziest thing in the world. Yeah, it's been shit. I, and the, just like you said, Jace, they are in a difficult position because he is their best outfielder, which is crazy to say. He's like 33 and he's playing really good uh, defense in center field. But he just like you said, he's pretty much unplayable uh, with his bat. It's it's incredible. Um, and I tend to agree with both of you that, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to turn around anytime soon. He seems just lost at the plate. Yeah, he's a black hole. I mean, he's an automatic out. It, I mean, you watched the game yesterday. It's fastball right down the middle. Fastball right down the middle. Like two 97-mile-per-hour fastballs just taken right down the middle. Oh, now I'm 0-2. Let me swing at a slider in the other batties, batter's box. I mean, it's it's as lost as you can possibly get. It's a, the signs of a double-A player. And you hate to say it, but the reason we were saying, hey, we're kind of worried about Duvall slumping, is because we saw him in 2018. You know, we've seen him have these kind of slumps before, but I don't know what the Braves can do. I, I don't know what they Drew can Waters do. hasn't been playing that great lately. He started off hot. He hasn't looked great. I mean, well, he, he's, he's on still kind of injured, history. too. He's on a well, four-game I mean, hit streak, but I think he, he got injured in the last game. He yeah, got hit by I mean, a pitch and left the game. He hasn't been playing every day either. And, you know, when he started off nuclear, like we wrote articles about it and stuff, he came back down to earth a little bit. Like he, he had like a little like one for 20 stretch in there. I don't know if that's the exact number. Don't quote me on it. But he cooled down significantly. And he's not somebody that you can just say like, okay, well, he's a sure thing. He'll come up and give us some consistency. And that's really what they need. They just need consistency. They don't need somebody to come up and set the damn world on fire. They just need a competent player. Yeah, well, yeah, Drew I Waters mean, is a non – I don't even think that's – it's fun to talk about because, you know, it's it's thinking about the future a little bit, but that's not even a choice in my opinion. Drew, I mean, what a quicker way to de just demolish his confidence than get him up here striking out 40% of times at the plate. I mean, that would be a – Send him right back thing. down. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think I think that's, that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest, you know, against Drew Waters argument there is, is his strikeout rate is so high. Like the one thing I want to see about a guy coming up is some guy who can just make some damn contact. Like if you're going to replace Adam Duvall, I don't need a lesser powerful hitter that's going to strike out just as much as Adam Duvall, which is I think what Drew Waters will probably come up and do. I do think Drew Waters at some point this season is an option. Um, he's hitting, he's still hitting over 304 in Gwinnett this year with an OPS of over 800. Um, he's on a four-game hitting streak. I think he got injured in the last game. We'll see if he's in the lineup today because they had an off day yesterday. 
But he's not an option now. I mean, he's only played 11 games in Gwinnett, coming off a season where it was his worst minor league season. Um, there's no way we're going to just put him up there. Are we going to get Preston Tucker back? Like, I mean, we're really getting to that point. I mean, I was talking about internal options. I mean, Alex Dickerson back, he's not doing well in AAA, but I mean, he's an option. Preston Tucker, he's doing decently. But I, I, it, I would have been hooting and hollering if you had told me Preston Tucker was going to be back in Atlanta at some point this year, starting in like left field. I would have, I would have said that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. But I mean, here we are, and I'm not even sure it's the wrong decision. No, and I mean, like, like I said, we were just so certain at the start of the year, like, all right, we're deep in outfield. We got too, we got too many outfielders. When Acuna comes back, we're not going to know what to do. And uh, look, we're in the same spot we are last year, so uh, I, I think it's going to have to be a trade. Uh, we'll, we'll, it's, it's a little early for that, but um, well, that, that I mean, they're, they're going to have to trade for outfielders again. Yeah, that brings me to the next point. Is it too early to start thinking about trades? Um, I think I don't know. Like I, I wrote an article that will be published later today and I was just thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, like it probably is too early because the bargaining price now is going to it's going to be much harder to, you know, strike a deal that for something that you think, you know, is good prospect value, you know, where you're not giving up a ton of prospect capital for a good outfielder this early in the season. It's just going to be really hard. Um, but I just look at this outfield and I look at how Duvall's performed. I look at how it's Demir's not going to get any better. I, yeah, I'm just like. I mean, we're going to – if if Acuna and Riley and those guys don't start hitting, I mean, we're going to be 15 games back by the All-Star break. And I don't even think that's, like, that much of a stretch. So That's not – the Mets, the Mets aren't going to be losing to Grom and Scherzer. They're going to be losing Grom and Scherzer this time around about the All-Star break. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I just think maybe it's too early. Like, I think it's unlikely, but – God, Alex Anthopoulos has to be on the phones looking for every outfielder option that that could happen. I mean, he has pulled a lot of things out of his ass, just like random guys that you've never heard before that you traded for a box of balls and they come in and they hit 300 for a month. That's what we need. Like, it just needs to be like a one month, like a Guillermo Heredia just goes hot for a month. Like, that's really like, and it could be just something like that. I don't think you're going to get it. But there are two guys that I'm keeping my eye on down the road. I, I think these guys are going to, you know, they're going to, you're not going to be able to get them now. But I look at the Cubs and I look at the Royals, two teams that are last place teams or second to last place teams, already 10 and a half games out. They're not going to, they're going to be sellers. Ian Happ and Andrew Benatendi. Both guys, I think, are on contract both, both guys, Both guys will be traded. Those who are guys who I have my eye on, but I don't think either of them are going to be traded anytime soon. But I definitely think Alex, break type of thing for some, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. yeah, it's going to be later, but until then I'm still looking. I mean, there's gotta be some guys that are four a guys or someone that you can get for a box of balls and just, just put them out there. Cause it's been awful dude. And I don't know how much longer I can sit here and look at Adam Duvall, take three straight balls right down the middle or Travis Demerico over a seven game stretch. I mean, he didn't even have a walk. I, like, I could legitimately not do worse than that. I just want to let that be known. Over the last seven games, I could not be worse than Travis DeMeritt. It has been <laughs> physically impossible. On a, lighter note, on a lighter note, on a lighter note, real quick, I refuse to call him DeMeritt. His name is Demerite, and that's all I call him. Carry on. Like, I, how, how did that even, like, how do you even, it's like, a conversation. you it's a, that? It's a conversation in my house, and until this year when I started hearing Chip say it, uh, I was seriously was calling him Demirite. I mean, did you think? Did you think he was like from like Venezuela? Yes. Yes. No, he's like American, bro. He's, he's like, from I, I, my, my, I, one of my close friends grew up with him, man. He's from. He's from like. He's I like, refuse to call him Demirite. <laughs> refuse. If I see double T, if I see double T, I got some roll in my tongue. Demirite. <laughs> bro, yeah. he's from Winder. <laughs> <laughs> I um I will say the whole demerit thing was fun for a while. Um, I you're right though, Chase Anthopoulos. I I don't think he's gonna make some huge move right now. I think it's more likely you see you know he picks up a bargain bin guy. I think another interesting name is Tony Kemp out in Oakland because God knows you can get anybody from the A's at any time. Um, they're just open for business twenty four seven. And something that is interesting is. I brought up Brian Reynolds earlier. He's actually only hitting 223 this year, so maybe the Pirates are maybe the Pirates will freak out and sell super I mean, low dude, on him. 
Let's just be let's just be real. The balls have changed what expectations are for good hitters this year, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, you look around the league at, at guys. It's not just the Braves. It's a, it's around the league. Guys that are very good hitters are, are playing like shit. I mean, like there's a, a few outliers. You know, you look at uh, Aaron Judge, you look at Mike Trout, but for the most part, I mean, I, I think the average OPS is like six seventy. I mean, it's ridiculous. I think Juan Soto is not even having that great of a year. I could be totally wrong, but I think he's like not even doing that great. Yeah, he's hitting two forty five. He has an eight thirty three OPS. Yeah, I mean that's just something that you don't see, and obviously it's only forty three games. But the balls, have, the expectations have to be lowered around the league for what you expect of a good hitter. If you have an eight fifty OPS this year, that's probably a nine thirty nine forty in last year's game. So the, the what, stats what's around the league. I just don't get the rationale. Like, are we are, are we under the assumption that less home runs is better? Because I I, I disagree. Because I'm I, I my eyes bleed watching this team every night. Baseball is so boring this year. It's like it's oh, the NHL it's, playoffs. It's around the league. It's the around NHL the league. Playoffs it's everywhere. Are so much better. Even yeah, the NBA I, playoffs, which like there's been more games decided by 20 points than like single digit games over the past two weeks in the NBA, and I'd still rather watch it than baseball right now. Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't a psychotic Braves fan, like I would never turn on a baseball game. Never. It's awful. The product is terrible. I have no idea what they, they were thinking, thinking this was the direction the game should go. Oh, we need to shorten the games by letting people not hit more home runs. Is I, I have no idea. I always I think it's more just they wanted to unjuice the baseballs and they just took it too far. And now they're just kind of fucked because they don't want to change them again because people have been bitching about it. But my, I, I always find it funny when the starting pitchers are bitching about it. I'm like, yo, you guys are literally giving up less runs than you ever have in the last 10 years. How, like, or like ever, like, why are you guys bitching? But, um, we'll say let's, uh, uh, I want to bring up a topic, but I'm going to, I'm going to save that for another episode. Cause I think it's still too early to talk about that. Let's talk about, let's switch over to some college football. Wait, 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 wait. We got to do just stop tweeting. We're bringing it back. Oh, you're true. Just stop tweeting. I have a I have a late submission too, but we'll go ahead and read the one that we're actually going to do first. Are you reading it? You want to go? Do you? Have I'll one? let you read it. I already. I'm not a good reader. I'm not a strong reader. We know that. Come on, don't make me do that. Okay. Okay. Here we go. This was a. I don't know what the reply was, but it was a reply to one of our tweets. Even after a world championship, it may be time to completely revamp the Braves. Trade about half the team for players and prospects. Give Waters a chance to sink or swim. Get Harris to Truist ASAP. Rebuild the farm system. Keep Snit in Washington. Make the other coaches get on their knees and plead their case. Oh, are you okay, man? <laughs> I mean, it's not that I, bad. I see bad takes all the time, and uh, some of them are just absolutely crazy. Like the other day, someone, or literally yesterday, or maybe this morning, I tweeted something about it was like a Spencer Strider article, and some guy, uh, follows it and says, it's so easy to see the manager sucks. And I'm just like, dude, we can't score a run. Like I like if I give Brian Snicker the shit when he deserves it. And sometimes his bullpen decisions make my head spin. But like, dude, if we can't score a run, like what do you want Brian Snicker to go out there and hit a bomb? Like what, what is <laughs> like, what are you expecting from this guy? And I see bad takes uh, just profusely. Um, a guy yesterday, I, I'm not even going to call out what his name was, but he said the lineup was I, – I said, there's no way this lineup can continue hitting this bad, quoting the lineup card. He said, the lineup's been hitting this bad for a year and a half. And I said, it's, and I said are people really this dumb? Um, and then he goes, dude, they only had like two weeks in August where they were any good. And I was like, dude, they were the best team in baseball from August to through November when they won the World Series. They went 40-16. and 16. They were top five in every offensive statistic – and they didn't go to a game seven and they beat the Brewers, Dodgers and Astros, two of which had over 100 wins. I think the Brewers had like 98. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's so crazy, man. Like, like people like Braves fans are like, they're like fucking goldfish, man. Like they have no memory. Like this is this is a picture perfect repeat of 2121. And I don't know if they're going to be able to recapture that same magic. But the season, the season was in shambles until like, August 1st, the last year. Like, the season is not over. There's still like 110 games left. It's not even Calm down. Birthday. It's just so annoying. Like, I can't say anything without the Braves without somebody just bitching and moaning like a world's ending. Like, God, shut up. Like, <laughs> shut up. Well, you know what's my even favorite crazier? One 
uh, this last thing, this is like my other just stop tweeting too. This guy is a perpetual bitcher. He bitches in my mentions a lot. <laughs> and he was like, he said something. He's like, only eight more years of Matt Olson. Dude, oh my god, <laughs> calm down, calm down. The guy goes Number on one like four week slump, and it's like only eight more years of this. Shit. <laughs> and it's like, dude, like, okay, number one, like, yeah, calm down. It's been like two or three weeks. Number two, they're banning the shift next year. He hits into the shift like every play. It's gonna be okay, dude. Oh, what was I gonna say? Oh, and like the other thing, like this year, okay, listen, I, I give the Mets credit. They're, they're nine games up on us. And like I said earlier, if, if things don't change, I wouldn't be surprised if we're 12, 13, 14 games come the All-Star break. But, dude, there's also like extra wild card spots. Like you're not playing a play-in game. Like just get in there. Get this team in there. Get the bats a little warmed up at the end of the year. Get into the playoffs. Get into the dance. That rotation, that bullpen, if the bats just heat up a little bit, the Braves are the toughest out in the game, or just as tough as anyone, and with their experience. So, guys, calm the fuck down. Yes, winning the division, it, it, it's like, I'm not even going to lie, like, nine games back, I don't feel comfortable that the Braves are going to win the division with the way they're playing, the way the Mets are playing. I don't feel comfortable with that. Can they? Obviously. But you can get in the wild card. You can get in those play, those play-in series and win, and you're in. Like, it's it, the sky is not falling. Theo Theo Epstein put it best. He says you need to have a team that's good enough to make the playoffs every year because once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. That's all you need is a team good enough to make it. And when you look at what wins in October, it's pitching. And who has better – like you only need four starters in the playoffs max. I mean, sometimes you only need three. But the Braves have a good a top four as anyone. Like Max Freed, you know, is going to go out there and bulldog his way in game one. Charlie Morton, Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, they might not even be a game four. And then you get uh, that bullpen. I mean, dude, you only have to pitch four innings because those guys are going to like pitch two or three innings in the playoffs. Just get in the damn playoffs and this pitching staff will carry us. So there's just so much bitching and complaining. And it's like, dude, we're f- when you look at the wild card, I think we're like four games out. Like it's, it's okay. It's fucking May. But now let's talk about some more heated, the, the heated rivalry that I'm beginning to love more and more. Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Jimbo Fisher had the, uh, or Saban, you know, made the comments about NIL, which I will start by saying I don't necessarily agree with or disagree with, you know, his premise. But then he tried to backtrack. His problem was singling out Texas A&M, singling out Jackson State. That's where he lost it because then he was like, oh, I didn't mean to single anyone out. Well, you literally fucking singled them out. Like, like <laughs> that's exactly what you did. You called out Jimbo Fisher and made it seem like he's a cheater, even though, He's not cheating. That's just the rules now. And whether you're not utilizing to the best of your ability, you know, he's basically signaling a threat like, well, I can do this and then we'll do that. All right, well, save him. We'll do it. Do it. That's the rules now. Let's just like, so that's, that's my two cents on the thing. Um, I'd love to watch Alabama's dynasty fall. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think any of this shit really matters, but it is a rivalry that I'm really going to love this year. And I hate to say it for Texas A&M, but they're going into Alabama after in a revenge spot with a loaded Alabama team. That's going to, that's tough. Yeah. I love it. I, uh, it's hilarious that Saban was literally, he was in Birmingham basically asking for more money, citing examples that he was like, Hey, we, we need to crowdsource more. Look at what these guys are doing. Look at what they're doing. And then immediately caused a shitstorm. Alabama is like 16 and a half point favorites. Obviously, these are early lines and they're subject to change, but 16 point favorites? This isn't going to be a game. I mean, Alabama's got the two best, arguably the two best players in college football. AM is delusional. I remember think I remember them coming in and losing to LSU when we were literally maybe the worst season of all time that I can remember. I mean, and then they lost to us. AM wins the offseason. They're going to they're gonna be that team who wins the offseason year in and year out and then disappoints in the regular season. It's hilarious to see them, that cult of a college, just total weirdos. I despise them. I love the rivalry, but they're delusional. I mean, sure, they're getting you know these incredible classes. Sure, they might compete, but I, I just don't see it. I do not see A&M even being close to Alabama's level, and sure – 
you know, Saban's wrong. He shouldn't have done that. That is one. I mean, Saban is ridiculous. He's way too smart. That was so atypical of Saban to say something like that. That was – maybe he's losing it. Maybe he's losing it and the rain is coming to an end. That's, that's the I think he did it on scenario. purpose. I think it's a motivation tactic. I think he wants to – I think he wants to – I think he's so mad that he lost to Texas A&M this year and they beat him in recruiting that he, like – He's going to just fire up his team to beat them by seven touchdowns. Like, I genuinely think he did it on purpose. Yeah, I mean, he definitely could have. I mean, when you think about Nick Saban, there's very few things that aren't, you know, planned, you know, and that's why this seems so atypical. Um, but, yeah, definitely could have be something that just on purpose because him and Belichick are cut, cut from the same cloth. Everything they do has a plan to it. Everything they do say has a meaning. Um, and whether, you know, we see that on the surface – uh, definitely could just be something to fire him up. And yeah, you know, he takes those, those losses uh, to heart. Yeah. You know, we know like those revenge games for Saban, that's, that's not a spot where you want to be in. Um, Alex, I want to do say something. LSU did almost go on the road and beat Alabama last year too. So that's both true. teams are, uh, LSU is just a powerhouse. You forget about the six and six powerhouse that is LSU. And <laughs> that's with, six and six and, team in the nation. <laughs> and with Brian Kelly at the helm, like, whoo, watch out for the boys. Maybe the best seven, six and six team of all time. I think we're 17 and a half point favorites at home to uh, Alabama right now. I like those odds. Maybe not that much, oh, but at least two touchdowns. I'm pretty sure we're 17. I, but here's my thing, though, man. Like, I, number one, I'm not the, the person to take the moral high ground and be like, oh, we would. We would never pay recruits. That's, that's wrong. Hey, y'all are a bunch of cheaters over there. We don't ever cheat. Like, what the everybody cheats like what what are we doing here like we really want to take the we really want to take the lid off this jar like is this really what we want to get into like because we everybody does it and like I it's mean, also not to, cheating anymore well it's literally that's not, the thing. Cheating. It's not yeah. cheating like who cares <laughs> like, that's who literally that's another cares thing. dude bama fans are so damn insecure they got so upset when i was like all right well jimbo like yeah jimbo did buy his class but guess what that's not against the rules anymore like he can still do that I mean, yeah. there's, there's some certain rules with boosters and stuff, but NIL right now, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Do you know what you – like, you have to do something insane to get in trouble with NIL. Like, absolutely And, LS, and LSU will find out how to do it. Yep, that's exactly Oh, they right. will. Um, I don't know. Like, right, I, now, yeah. right now, it's the wild, wild west. Eventually, there will be federal mandates that limit some of the, uh, what NIL can and can't do. But right now it's a wild, wild west, and Saban's just bitching and moaning because his crowd source isn't as big as A and M's, and not yep. many schools can, you know, accumulate as much money as A and M. I don't know. A and M, A and M has that oil. I don't money? think a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people understand how much money A and M's alumni base has. It's actually like they lap the field. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Every single bush, every single bush family member has a building. Has a, I mean, they they have president alumni. Like this, this they're is still insane. weird. Yeah, like they they're still weird. Like they're UTA, cool. LSU, objectively cooler. Yeah, all of them. Everything A and M does is weird as fuck. Yeah. Um, they also the Aggie the nut LSU squeeze. The Aggie nut squeeze has got to be the weirdest, most. Just what are you doing? And they have, but they do have the perfect coach in Jimbo Fisher. Like yeah. he encapsulates that school. Like to me, He's Coach O always, character. Coach O was literally LSU. Like that was the perfect man. Like if he, I just wish he had focused on football and stopped, you know, hooking up with 25 year olds because he was the perfect man to be the head coach of LSU. I think the same thing about Jimbo Fisher. Like an anti fit is Brian Kelly in LSU. Now, will it work? It very well could because Brian Kelly's, you know, a great football coach. He's got a great system. It's worked everywhere he's been. But, like, that is such an, like, opposite fit. Like, it couldn't be more opposite. Family. <laughs> family. Family. Kirby Smart in Georgia. <laughs> Kirby Smart in Georgia, perfect fit. Perfect fit. Gathering me and Clemson, fantastic fit. You know, yeah. Steve Spurrier yeah. at Florida, beautiful. Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, beautiful. Like, there's there's just some great fits out there. Um but there's also just some funky ones. But Jimbo Fisher is one of those just perfect fits for that weird-ass school because he's just a weird-ass dude. <laughs> yeah, and see, I, I told – like going back to the federal regulation stuff, I wrote a 120-page thesis on how NIL was going to have to have federal regulations and how coaches were going to start going after each other if this thing wasn't handled. And here we are. But the, the main thing was is I think there's going to be – like the market is going to settle itself. 
boosters right now, now that it's like they're they're handing out money like nobody's business because none of these kids have bust yet. None of these kids have transferred yet. None of these kids have gotten, you know, arrested or anything yet. None of these kids have made them look bad. As soon as yeah. some of these kids start not panning out and some of them start transferring, they're, they're going to be a little less willing to come off of some of that money. And so I think the, the market is going to regulate itself a little bit in that way. Uh, but they'll have federal regulations within like the next few months. It's just the, the fact that a Supreme Court case literally made it legal overnight is the reason why we have what we have right now. It's the wild, wild west. And if you've got money, if you've got deep pockets, you can basically buy a national championship. It, it, it's you got insane. about two to three years to buy an like to legitimately buy a national championship. Yeah. Right now. Well, let's talk about this uh, list that was uh, released from Twenty Four Seven Sports. College football's twenty best quarterbacks per gr- Brad Crawford. I have no idea who the fuck Brad Crawford is, but this list sucks. And this is going to be a new segment we do on this, where we come up with a list every week because you know you go through Twitter, you find a dumbass list. That sucks, you know? People love them. Uh, I like them. Yeah, people, people yeah, I, mean, I, like I, I love ranking them. I love ranking things, and people probably call my list shit, too. Everyone has their own opinions, but this one is a very interesting list. Um, I don't know if you guys have this pulled up. I have it. Yeah. What is your, what is your, if you had to say one thing that, that catches your eyes uh, as just absolutely ridiculous, uh, what would it be, Jake? Why are we, why are we still talking about Spencer Rattler? He's not good. He's not a good quarterback. Like, he can't make reads. He couldn't work in Lincoln Riley's offense. Lincoln Riley's offense is the training wheels of college football. You can have, be brain dead and run Lincoln Riley's offense if you can throw the ball well enough. Spencer Rattler is not good. And if he is decent this year whatsoever, it's a huge testament to Shane Beamer's co- uh, coaching ability because the kid has a massive ego. He's not that talented. He's not as good as he thinks he is. And he's a turnover machine. Like, he creates so many turnover-worthy plays. And you have him at eight? I don't even know if I'd have him in the top 30. Maybe not the top 50. Like, I just don't understand what the Spencer Rattler hype is. He's not good. I'm sorry. Mine is K.J. Jefferson. I mean, K.J. Jefferson is a 3-4 defensive end who just so happened to play quarterback all of his life, and now I guess he's gotten him this far. I am not a K.J. Jefferson believer. I know you seem to be, Jake, but he is bad. I watched too many Arkansas games where that guy literally – it looked like me throwing the ball out there. Sure, he's you know basically Cam Newton athletically and like running. Not really. He's a lot slower, but he's that big body, you know – type quarterback where RPOs are basically Arkansas's entire offense and it works to a certain extent, but having him fifth, fifth, that's ridiculous. That's egregious. That is egregious. The guy can't throw the ball, literally can't throw the ball. I, that, that, that was mind blowing to me. I think Will Levis being 15 was the thing that popped out to me. I'm talking about a guy. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's being talked about as a potential number one overall pick. And, you know, obviously a lot of people don't know about him because there's not a lot of people that, you know, watch Kentucky football. But I watched him carve up LSU and make some unbelievable throws. I I watched a few highlights from him because I didn't watch a ton of his tape. I mean, you look at his numbers against Georgia, some of the best numbers any quarterbacks had outside of Bryce Young against Georgia's defense last year. Uh, he's also an athlete. I mean, he's got a big body, but I, I watched him against Louisville. He's like hurtling dudes. So how, I don't know how this guy's 15. Um, to me, he's in the top yeah. five. One of the things that really impressed me with Levis, too, if you watch that Georgia game again, like like there was, what, six, uh, five, six first-rounders on that defense. He was stepping up in the pocket and making throws. Like he was yeah. not scared of those guys, which is crazy. And I think there's a couple guys that were either too low or too high. And and I think a misconception with this is people thinking this is supposed to be like draft potential or something. That's not how I read this. I read this is in college football is going to be the best quarterback. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dylan Gabriel at four is an absolute joke. I think Devin Leary at NC State needs to be higher. And I'm not going to get on this. I'm not going to get on this tangent, but we're really not going to put Stetson Bennett on there like Come on, Quinn Evers hasn't thrown a pass. Anthony Richardson had a six to five touchdown to intercept. Let me just say that year. I was literally just about to go in on Anthony <laughs> Anthony Richardson. Please that guy do. shouldn't Please be do. on. That guy should not be on the list. He had Joey Gatewood. <laughs> he was Miles under sixty. He's under sixty percent completion percentage, and he had a six to five touchdown to interception ratio. His average yards is eight or per attempt. Those are all horrible. 
these are the exact same things that I'm I'm I knocked KJ Jefferson for. The guys, this is not the whole, you know, Lamar Jackson's a running back thing. These guys literally cannot pass. Lamar Jackson was a superb athlete, you know, it was much different than these. I mean, I saw somebody the other day say Anthony Richardson was a potential top 10 pick. He might be lucky to get drafted, dude. He's going to be Lamar Jackson's backup. That's it. But this is ridiculous. I don't know what this guy's watching. And Miles Brennan, Joey good point. Gatewood. The dude passed for 1,200 yards in three games before, you know, he's glass bones. Sure, sure, he's been hurt. But when he is healthy, dude's got a cannon. Got a cannon. Yeah, And, and throwing at Keishon Butte is going to be money all year long. I mean, there's I not, there's one better wide receiver in college football than Keishon Butte. I mean, where's Miles Brennan? And, 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 yeah, and, and I, am I just missing something with Dylan Gabriel? No, you're not. I don't know. I don't understand that either. And I mean, did, does this guy still think Lincoln Riley's in Oklahoma or something? <laughs> I don't know. That's I think he got the top three. I, I think he got the top three right, and I think that's about it. Uh, I mean, Young, Stroud, Williams, one, two, three. I think that's solid. I think uh, it's a little bit overhyped, but I think Hendon Hooker at six is okay. Um, I mean, I think I think if you want to project, uh, I mean, it kind of goes against what we've been saying. I think that's a strong projection, but I do think Hendon Hooker is one of the better quarterbacks in the. He's probably the second best quarterback in the SEC. Um, but Spencer Rattler at eight, a bunch of Spencer Rattler. I'm sorry, he's not. Uh, let's just be honest for a second. Yeah. Well, I also think the Stetson Bennett shit is. I mean, uh, come on, he might not even start this year. Like who? who like what are we talking about? Stetson Bennett. He's. He's still. Nobody, he was still nobody's, conf- he, nobody's confusing yeah, I mean, Stetson Bennett won that national championship. Nobody, you know. He was, he was still fourth in adjusted tape. air yards. No, he was fourth in adjusted air yards. Like. Third in yards per play in the SEC, like yards per pass. Like the dude made throws. When everything's perfect around you and all yeah, you have I, to do is I, not I'm fuck not, up, it's really I, easy. I can pretty I can okay. pretty confidently say Stetson Bennett's not a top twenty quarterback in in, in college football. Yeah. Like, all right, okay, like, but we got a guy, okay, we got a guy out here with a sixty percent completion percentage, a six to five touchdown to interception. I agree. Show. There's That's guys true. on this there's guys on this list. Keon Clovis not on this list either, by the way, which is crazy. He's going to have a huge year. There's guys on this list that shouldn't even be considered, um, but I just think and I don't. I don't have a list of college football quarterbacks in front of me, but I just think you know I could. It, there's probably 20 better um, in college football. There might not be. I mean, there there really might not be. But I would say I would say there there probably is. But I, I do agree. This list is. You really we got a guy. We got a guy for. who got benched. A guy who got benched because he was getting the doors blown off of him by his biggest rival at eighth overall. That is insane to me. But anyway, yeah. we can move on. I, yeah, I agree. Like, if you're talking about, you know, maybe potential in the NFL, I, I still think Spencer Rather might have some of that. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you still call him one of the best quarterbacks in college football based on what we've seen from him. He's just, I mean, pretty much every quarterback has just been like a Heisman candidate that's like walked into Lincoln Riley's office and he like made him look like sh- and he looked like shit. So, yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm not on the Spencer Rattler. Dylan Gabriel doesn't make a lot of sense here. Uh, I do like Will Rogers. I think he should be a little higher. But that also could be just because he's playing with Mike Litch. Obviously, Levis should be higher. Um, and, you know, who knows? If you're talking fourth, I, I, th- I think Grayson McCall should be the fourth behind uh, Young, Stroud, and Williams. Just for I, the I, stuff I, we've seen. I like, I like Grayson McCall a lot as well. But um, let's uh, move on to... I just want to briefly talk about this um, hockey. The NHL is fucking awesome. And if you're not watching the NHL playoffs, I'm telling you, you're missing out on one of the best sporting events of the whole year. Every game is just electric. Uh, overtime hockey might be the best thing in all of sports because it's sudden death. It could go for three periods. It could end in one minute. Every, every time uh, a team gets it in the offensive zone, it's insanity. And I just want to say – Everybody, hockey is now available on ESPN+. Plus. Every game of every team is televised. There's a reason why hockey is having the highest ratings um, of their playoffs in, like, history. It's because ESPN did get that deal done. And next year, pick a damn team. I know most of our people are going to be from Atlanta, so if you don't have a team, maybe pick Nashville. I mean, Nashville's got a pretty solid team. Nashville games are great to go to. Nashville's a great city. Pick a team. You can watch every game for, you know, sign up for ESPN+, Plus for $4.99 a month. It's so damn fun. It, it has become my arguably my favorite sport. It, it, it's just awesome. It's an awesome sport. Uh, there's so many good players, so much good strategy. The playoffs are insanity. 
anybody can win on any given night. Um, it's it's awesome. Uh, if, if you're if you're not watching the hockey playoffs, tune in for the you know they're about to get to the conference finals. Tune in for that. Tune in for the Stanley Cup. You'll fall in love. Pick a team next year. Ride or die with them. Get into hockey. That is one thing I can I can firmly say everyone should get into. Yeah, I I, I kind of like sparingly watched hockey playoffs last year, and I liked it. But this year, like, I mean, I don't know if it's just because the NBA playoffs have been so bad, uh, but it's just been incredible, man. Like, I, I wanted to watch it earlier in the year, but, I mean, Georgia was on a national title run, and the Braves were on a World Series run, like, in the infancy of hockey season. So it was kind of hard for me to get into it. Um, but I've been enjoying watching the Hurricanes. Uh, I kind of like the Lightning. I know they're about to – damn, about to three-peat, and I know a lot of people probably don't like that, that are, like, hockey purists. But they're fun to watch. Like, they're a really good team. Uh, but I'm pulling for Carolina. I'm pulling for Tampa. I got a future bet on both of them. And Connor McDavid is just, uh, dude, he's just Avalanche. Like, Avalanche are winning it. Nate McKinnon is awesome too. He's another one, man. Like their whole, got their whole team, the whole Avalanche incredible. team is, is incredible. Um, and, and yeah, McDavid and, and Drysaddle are probably the funnest duo to watch in all of hockey. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you're watching a generational talent every time. I mean, at, at, every time Edmonton plays. I mean, you're watching like the latest version of Sidney Crosby and, and Wayne Gretzky. I mean, the things they do on the ice. And it's funny because, you know, I haven't even watched hockey that much, but you you watch one Edmonton game, you figure out who Connor McDavid is. You don't even have to figure it out. I, I don't have to tell you his number. You'll just, just, just tell me at, by the end of the game who the best player on the ice is. Tell me his number. And I guarantee you, you'll find out it's Connor McDavid because the guy is a freak. The way he can control the puck, the things that he can do, the way that he creates goals for others, the way that he dekes out the goalie when he gets around the net, it, it's a work of art. It really is. Yeah. Um, I don't know shit about fuck, but uh, cycle pucks, <laughs> pucks on net. Uh, let's go, boys. Yeah. On the other hand, you have the NBA playoffs going, and we talked about this last time. We both gave our predictions, and uh, I said the Mavs would, would make it six games. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, they're getting crushed. Uh, the Warriors have really exposed their lack of depth. Um and yeah, I mean, let's just say the Warriors aren't the Suns. Uh, Luke has been great, but at the end of the day, when you look at Eastern Conference playoff wins, Trey two, Luca zero, and I don't see that changing. Were we too quick? It's over tonight. Were people too quick to crown Luca just for beating the Suns? Because when you look at it, are the were the Suns really that good? I do think the Suns are a bit overrated. I've never been a Chris Paul fan. I think the DeAndre Ayton hype of a max contract kind of guy is overhyped. I think that was exposed. Um, they play good basketball. They play a lot like the Warriors in, in terms of like it's it's aesthetically pleasing to watch the Suns. They play basketball the right way. Um, but Chris Paul and Devin Booker, uh, just a little bit overhyped. I mean, I don't know how you can come out in game seven and – do what they did and combine for what, like 12 points or I, I mean, it may have been more than that, but it was just abysmal. Um, the whole Luca Trey argument is so fun to me because they're really in identical situations. Neither's playing with all stars. Neither has the help around them. And then, it, you know, the entire conversation is, well, Luca and Trey's defense, blah, 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 blah. It's like both of these guys are so good on offense. It doesn't matter. They're creating for their uh, teammates at an obscene rate. Both of them are creating at an obscene rate. And their and their supporting cast is just letting them down. Uh, Trey's last year, Trey did get hurt, and that was a big uh, part of the Hawks' demise against the Bucks. But uh, even this year, we saw in the playoffs, Trey and Luka, both, you just need more. And they're both 22 years old. People are talking, you know, they're never going to do this. They won't do that. I mean, we still got like eight to ten years of their prime. Bro, Steph Curry was fucking lighting it up in Davidson at this age, you know? Like 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 people like forget that Steph Curry, like he played four years in college. Like he wasn't even in the NBA. And we're talking about Steph Curry now as probably what a top two point guard of all time. Like I would say Magic Johnson, Steph Curry, you know, and you might even say put Steph one if 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 you really think he changed the game that much. And I think that's a fair argument. I mean, this guy, like, so you look at this, Trey Young has been, you know, to two all-star games, should have be, should have been three. And, you know, Steph Curry was just getting into the league at this time. So the amount of impact these guys can have over the rest of their careers, I mean, people were talking about, this could be the only time they get to this point. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you serious? Do you actually believe that? Like, they legitimately both do not have any help. 
Um, the only thing I'll say about the ste- the the Luca and Trey argument is I'm tired of, and I guess Hawks fans do this too because like it's a whole thing on Twitter. But I'm tired of like people saying, "Oh, like the Mavs won the trade." Everyone who wants Luca, everyone who would rather have Trey over Luca is an idiot. Like, listen, then I'm an idiot because I am not giving away Trey for anybody. Like, I'm just not. Like, there's not a single young player that I would give him up for, except for maybe Giannis, and he's six years older. But like anyone over the uh, under the age of 25, I'm not trading him for. Like, I, I will take Trey Young. I'll take him over Jason Tatum. I'll take him over Luca. Yes, they've had better playoff runs, but I, I'm not like I'm taking Trey Young. Well, let's just bring up the fact. Hang on, Jake. Let's just bring up the fact. Nobody won or lost that Luca Trey uh, trade. The The Suns picked DeAndre. Yeah, the Kings and the Suns. Like, let's talk about those other top five picks that are just completely. You know, we have two perennial. These guys are going to be competing for ten plus years, constantly going to conference finals. Twenty. DeAndre Ayton's not even going to play. Not even going to play a second contract with Phoenix. Come on. This isn't a, a lose. Where this even is, is Marvin Bagley? Teams win. Where does Marvin Bagley even play? Marvin, Marvin Bagley. Yeah. Who cares about Marvin Bagley, honestly? Both guys, both guys are franchise-altering players. I think both will win a championship at one point in their career, at least one, both of them. Uh, so it's a yeah, ridiculous. It, it, it would be like it would be like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning somehow being like, "Oh, you got Peyton Manning. You only won, you know, so many Super Bowls." It's like, yeah, who cares? I mean, the <laughs> yeah, only I loss mean. a part of that trade is somehow we landed Cam Reddish and he turned out to be a nobody. That was it. That's the loss. That's the hey, loss. And we still, and we still got a first round pick for him. You never know what that first round pick could yep, end up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But let's let's talk a little bit of Hawks here. And it's funny because the first guy we're going to talk about is a guy we've mentioned a couple times already and talking about the Suns, DeAndre Ayton, who was the first pick in that draft with Luca and Trey. Uh, reports are seeming like DeAndre Ayton's likely on his way out. Um, the Suns don't want to give him a max contract. They have other guys they have to pay. You know, Chris Paul still has money on the books. They're going to need to extend Booker again. Cam Johnson's up for extension soon, and they just gave Michael Bridges a $90 million contract. Um, so De- DeAndre Ayton looks kind of like an odd man out here. I still think there's a chance they keep him. And the Hawks are a team that um, Jake Fisher of Bleach Report consistently brought up when talking about Ayton. I'm not a necessarily a huge fan of the idea of Ayton in Atlanta. I don't think he's a significant upgrade over Capella, but I imagine any kind of deal would surround uh, you know Capella going to uh, the Suns, Aiton coming to Atlanta, so the money kind of works out a little bit better like that. I, I still don't think that's the move. I think, you know, wing has to be the priority for this team, getting a second scorer that can create on his own. Um, I don't think getting a, a, a better version of Clint Capella, who has been fight, has, who was fighting with Mont, his coach that, in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I just, that just doesn't seem like uh, the right fit for the Hawks unless they get desperate. That would seem like desperation to me. So that's my take on Aiden. You guys have any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I don't I'm not in favor of handing a guy with attitude problems a max deal, which is what he wants. And there's gonna be some bad team like the Pistons, the Kings, some perpetual bottom feeder is gonna give him a huge contract that's not gonna be worth it. If he didn't show up in the playoffs, I, I just haven't seen anything that makes me think DeAndre Aiden's the guy we should be handing a bag to. Two things. Monty Williams is, by all accounts, a great guy, great coach. Uh-huh. Uh, many people love him, you know, across the NBA. How are you getting into a fight with that guy? Secondly, I'm not in favor of handing any center max contract money unless it's Joel Embiid. I, 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 I there isn't somebody. I mean, Jokic. Yo, okay, okay. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. Jokic or Still, Giannis. I, yes, 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 yeah. yes. My point is basically, there's very few centers in this in today's NBA, that warrant that kind of money. And I totally – upgrading over Clint, $20 million upgrading, this guy better be Joel Embiid or Jokic or Giannis or somebody like that. DeAndre Ayton's averaging, what, like 18 and 10 or something like that? I mean, he's he's not that guy. He is not the guy. The Hawks would be way better served handing a max contract to a wing like Zach Levine or somebody like that – Sure, Trey Young's biggest liability is defense, and we get that. And Clint Capella is a good defensive center. But upgrading 
marginally, in my opinion. On offense, it's substantial, but on defense, DeAndre Ayton is marginally better than Clint. He's just bigger and can handle those other centers better, the bigger centers better. I, I, I hate the idea of DeAndre Ayton getting a max contract in Atlanta. Hate it. I'd rather, I'd rather hand that money to McCall Bridges, honestly. Yeah, I don't see it. I mean, listen, guys, I, I know this was reported by Jake Fisher, and uh, Fisher you know, obviously has some sources. We've you know used him many times and sources for articles and stuff like that. But I don't even really think this is a possibility. I think it's just something, you know, maybe, you know, a year ago, these were conversations that were being had, but everything that's transpired, uh, I don't see the Hawks. I don't see the Hawks. I know they're going to feel pressure to make a move. I just don't see them making, you know, a marginal upgrade like that and and putting themselves in a bind. I, I know it seems like there's a lot of pressure for this team and they are going to do everything they can to get that second star. But I just don't see, based on what Travis Schlenk has done his entire time, him handcuffing this team and their future by giving a guy who's not worth the money, max money, because that's how you end up in a rebuild. That's how you end up Trey Young forcing his way out in five years, you know? Yep. You give an idiot like DeAndre Hunter or Rudy Gobert 40 million bucks. So yep. I just, I know there's a lot of pressure and I know ownership wants uh, Schlank to win and, and all this stuff, but uh, you know, I, didn't they just hand Schlank an extension? It's not like they're like threatening yeah. to fire him. So I, I think they're going to just, I think they trust Schlank. And if there's not the move out there to get a Donovan Mitchell, to get a Bradley Beal, to get a Zach Levine, who we're about to talk about, Jake Fisher also mentioned Zach Levine as a potential candidate um, if he leaves Chicago to land in Atlanta. If they can't get one of those guys, I just don't see them making a push for a guy like DeAndre Ant because that, that's how you end up rebuilding again in five years. And Travis Schlenk will be out of a job in five years if he makes a move like that. Yeah, before we move on to Levine, though, I mean, if you want to get a center who's more offensively adept than Clint Capella, get somebody like Brooke Lopez, somebody who can actually provide on the offensive end and not make $40 million. That is the you biggest mean, thing for JaVale me. Give me JaVale McGee. I don't yeah, JaVale McGee. That's, yeah. what I said. That's what I said, man. Last show, I'll take JaVale. JaVale McGee makes like $4 million, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Bring me JaVale McGee. Give That's me a seven-footer that can just swat balls around. Like, I don't give a shit. I don't need – 20 million invested in my center that can't shoot. And I agree. This is Brooke not a Lopez, league. Brooke Lopez not is a, a menace, bro. Brooke Lopez is a menace. He, like it, he's one of the more underrated players. Remember we played Milwaukee? Like it was pissing me off. That douchebag would hit like six threes. And I'm yeah. like, you asshole, bro. Who are you? <laughs> Trey Young is going to make whatever center he plays with that much better. He is going to put it right at the rim for you to just go grab it and put it in the net. It doesn't matter who it is. As long as you have the hand-eye coordination to jump up and grab the ball within two feet of the rim and put it in, you're going to be good with the Hawks. You're going to be good with Trey Young. We don't need to pay some guy $40 million to do that. We do not. Jab, draft Jalen Duran out of Memphis this year in the draft. Like, it's not – I just don't see – like, Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Ayton just makes – no Less sense. than zero sense to me. No sense. But what about Zach Levine? Do we like the idea of bringing Perfect Levine? sense. <laughs> now, now you're speaking my language there. And I don't want to hear anything about defense because that's what everybody's going to say. This is not a defensive league. Until you, unless, you're, unless you're a team like the Celtics or the Heat where you can absolutely, as a team, just lock anybody down, which the Hawks aren't going to be able to do in an offseason anyways. It doesn't matter who they have. Well, um, get guys like that. Surround those – surround two – ultra offensive guards with defense, you know, Clint Capella's your hey, first piece. You're talking to, you're talking to the same guy who said last year during the off season, we should have got Alex Caruso, Io Dutsumu and Herb Jones. We would be a good defensive team if we had, I'm just I, saying. I do think it's not that hard to find defensive pieces, like just legit, like that shoot threes. They don't even have to shoot tremendous threes. I mean, it's not like PJ Tucker's an elite three point shooter. He's like a, a below average three point shooter, but his defense is so good. As long as you, he's a threat to shoot. Like that's all you need. So like a three and D player, like I'm looking for more of a D and like, you just have to be able to competently shoot a three around the basket. <laughs> well, I mean, to the, to the Hawks credit, that was supposed to be, I mean, and to their defense, like that was supposed to be Deandre Hunter and Cam Reddish this year. And neither of them just, really showed up to the billing. I mean, we were going to give them a chance this year regardless. So you can't really put that all on them. But like I said, second round picks, like I was talking about Herb Jones, that guy was, that guy was like the 50 something pick in the draft. And he was one of the best defenders in the league this year. Yeah. I love the Zach Levine idea. Uh, the dude averaged 26 over the past two seasons, back-to-back all-star appearances, shooting 49 from the field, 40 from three. I mean, 
the reason why he's probably upset in Chicago is because it was his team. DeMar came in. He put up incredible numbers. But DeMar's an isolation player. He lives at the mid-range. And Trey Young is not that guy. Trey Young is going to get his teammates involved. Zach Levine won't have to just sit in the corner and watch Trey Young go one-on-one. He's going to be involved in the offense. That's why I think he could be could interest Zach Levine. I don't think Zach Levine would want – I mean, you know – I'm not saying it's not his team in Chicago, but it's kind of not his team anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would it wouldn't be his team in Atlanta either. But I do. He'd agree. be more involved. Be more like that's a, for sure. More of a Batman and Robin um, kind of thing than it is. Um, let's talk about one last topic. We we'll move to the Falcons, and uh, yeah. we we talked about this both times um, on the po- I think on every episode of the podcast. But because Schultz wrote about it the other day. I actually didn't even read the article yet, um, but I read, you know, certain snippets that I saw on Twitter. Uh, the article basically all but says, and, and Schultz, as much as I disagree with a lot of things that he says, um, he is pretty plugged in when it comes to the Falcons. You know, he does break some news he, here and there. So when he says something like Deion Jones is all but out of here, uh, it usually means he's probably all but out of here. So it, it looks like, you know, we've talked about it. It seems like two episodes ago we were like, is Deion Jones out of here? I don't think so. Then last episode, it was like, eh, I think he's probably out of here. Now this article comes out, and I think we're all probably, what, 90%? You know, he's yeah. probably gone after June 1st. Um, I think that the thing that caught my eye the most on Twitter was the part about Deion Jones' leadership. You know, if this if his leadership was up to par, this could be something where they just, like, eat the money and, you know, have him mentor a Troy Anderson and Michael Walker and stuff like that. But apparently he's kind of checked out. And I think that was all kind of what the vibes we were getting. I mean, when you you watch it on the field, it doesn't look like he's trying to he's, he's making business decisions out there. You know, um, it looks like he just got paid, ready to be done. And, and that's fine. But as far as a team that's trying to build culture, you got to let guys like that go. So uh, I, I think a trade, we might even have to eat some of the money. I mean, these kind of stories aren't going to help when you're when you're talking about trades. Yeah, um, I, I, real quick before I have this in my mind, let me let me spit this out real quick. Uh, I, I saw something where the Falcons may uh, to get to facilitate a trade, they may eat like four million of a performance bonus or a roster bonus or something like that. Um, and the two teams uh, that make sense that would have the money, I think it was the Jets and the Cowboys. I think that was Kevin Knight at the Falcoholic that was talking about that. Uh, but I think the Cowboys have the money and they have Dan Quinn. Uh, so I wouldn't even be shocked if the Cowboys threw us like a six-round pick for for Debo or something like that. Yeah, Schultz had some pretty disparaging remarks about Debo. Um, and it's very rare that a reporter of Schultz status – well, I don't like him personally, but he is good at his job and he does break some news like Chase mentioned. Um, but for him to go out there and say what he said about Jones's leadership is pretty revealing. And I think that – Somebody of his status wouldn't go out there on a limb unless he was sure. Um, so I think Debo's as good as gone. Uh, I don't know if it'll be a cut or a trade, um, but the financial ramifications are going to be insane. The Falcons are going to have like $80 million in dead cap this year. That's like 25 something or 30%, maybe even more of the entire salary cap. That is unprecedented. Um, so if you want to talk about, you know, like rebuilding the Falcons are the quintessential team. I mean, we're going to suck. We just don't have money. I mean, we're paying everybody else except for our own players. Like we're paying everybody else's salary caps. Here's, here's the thing though with Dion. Um, You'd say a cut or a trade. I know there's some implications with post June 1st about spreading the money out, but as far as savings, they're exactly the same pre and post June 1st, which makes me think that, if they're really worried about next year and the salary cap next year, if they could afford it, that makes me think that it's something they would have already done if they were going to cut them. I think they have a trade worked out. Yeah, I think a trade would obviously be best for um, the situation. Uh, and I think it's all but guaranteed. Um, they're not going to find somebody like the Titans who took on every single cent of Julio Jones' contract. They will not find that. Julio Jones still had that high upside and Deion Jones is still a young player with, you know, we saw what he could be. He was electric. It was crazy to see that from a inside linebacker that he was, you know, basically 
it was almost like Ed Reed, obviously not that point, but every time he got the ball, it was like, uh, he could probably return this for a touchdown. It was incredible to watch. I don't know where it went. I think Chase, you're probably, you know, somewhere close to he got paid and probably got comfortable in this situation and was like, I'm not banging heads with these 300 pound offensive linemen business decisions. Um, it's sad to see I, I'm an LSU alum, so yeah. I, I wanted it more than anybody to, for D, Debo to succeed. But He's you got all status paid. Yeah, but That's nobody's gonna take nobody's gonna take on all that money. I think it's no, it's they're not. Be I just think it's crazy. He's still 27 years old, man. Like if you'd have asked me how old Deion Jones was without me knowing that, I would have said 31 probably. Yeah, yeah. Like he's I mean, been around that long. He's, he's, he was my favorite player on the team, being an LSU boy, having the success, doing it against the Saints, too. That's where his biggest moments of his career really were. So definitely disappointing, but it looks like we are headed to an end road with Deion Jones in Atlanta. That wraps The last up. thing about it, too, last thing, I, I, I hate to see him get run out of town like this. I will say that. I mean, it, it, it's kind of rough, the the 180 that, that people have done on him like, and I'm guilty of like, I'm guilty of it too sometimes but I mean we really are kind of running him out of town and it, it's tough it sounds like he's running himself out of town with the way he's not providing leadership not really giving his effort into really a lot of things it looks like his body it just doesn't look like he's given 100 maybe he goes somewhere else and does but you know you're not I don't think we're running him out of town I think if anybody you know me and Alex would love to see him play the rest of his career and do great but when you're clearly not giving 100% to the organization. It kind of seems like you've checked out. You don't really leave them with much of a choice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, mean, I was kind of talking Falcons. about more like fans and media, not really the team. Okay, well, the fans, fans like the thing fans is fair, kind of- but the Falcons bet on him. The Falcons restructured his deal. I mean, they were pro- they were betting on him being, you know, at least something. I mean, they, they were counting on not getting rid of him by restructuring his deal. Yeah, well, that wraps up the fourth episode of the Sports Talk ATL podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and we will be back.